On this episode of the Talent Cast, we talk about pizza. Man, I miss pizza. Oof. This is going to be a tough one for me. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome to the Talent Cast. I'm your host, James Ellis. We're here to talk about employer branding and talent acquisition, talent recruitment marketing at some fairly deep levels. We're not here to pitch books. We're not here to pitch software. This is a 100% pitch-free zone. We're here to go back to first principles and really think through what it's going to take for you to be better at employer brand and talent acquisition, for you to win the war for talent. Yes, that's a bad metaphor. Yes, people shouldn't say it. Yes, it's also my Twitter handle, so I can't help you. This will not be your standard podcast. This will be a little goofy, a little weird, a little bit of me. Hopefully, you're going to learn something from it. If you like it, please tell people. Uh, If you like it a lot, review us on iTunes and Google Play. Otherwise, you can hear, learn more about us or talk to us directly on Twitter, again, at The War for Talent, or just go to our website, thetalentcast.com. So that having been said, here's the show. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. Crazy, crazy week. My podcasting host kind of went down for four days, so I haven't been able to see metrics. It looks like the whole system's down. I can't tell if anybody can see the podcast. It's kind of crazy, but we're up to speed. Everything's good. Apparently, everybody's been able to access them. No big deal. So that's all good. Um, I've been doing webinars. If you haven't heard it today, this week I did uh, the webinar with Kirsten Davidson of Employera. We did one two weeks previous with Ian Hamilton. You want to go to bit.ly slash employer brand webinar. Trust me, I speak a lot less on those than I do here, but the information is fantastic. Uh, So that's good. I think you should absolutely listen to those. Um, I also got something published in Talent Economy. I'll throw them in the show notes if you want to read that sort of thing. Other show note, by the way, not drinking coffee. It is the afternoon. I am now into rum. You're welcome. So I want to talk about pizza because apparently being on a low-carb, no-sugar diet for the whole year of 2017, I've decided I'm obsessed with pizza because, you know, no pizza, no life. Um, So in the U.S., and I know that only about 50% of this audience is actually U.S.-based, so obviously everybody has a different sense of what pizza is, right? You know, there's the Italian pizza, there's square pizzas, there's Chicago pizza if you want to get really granular versus New York pizza versus New Haven pizza. And apparently there's a thing called Detroit pizza, which I guess um, pizza's all over. Pizza's great. Pizza pizza is amazing, right? How do you go wrong with bread and cheese, a little bit of sauce, and maybe some onions and meat? It's, it's, It's amazing. It's magical. It's wonderful. You hungry yet? I know I am. So I'm watching football. That's U.S. football. It's where they don't kick much. Um, and there's a commercial for Papa John pizza. Now, in no way am I getting any kind of commercial recon. Oh, there's a word there I'm looking for. The rum has already kicked in. I'm getting no money from Papa John's. In fact, I don't really care for Papa John's pizza. In fact, I'm about to make fun of them pretty seriously. So uh, the fact that I'm using a brand name shouldn't suggest that I'm in some way endorsing them. In fact, I am absolutely not. So the commercial is how much they care about making sure everybody gets quality pizza. Now, everybody's going to define quality pizza differently. Like I talked about New York versus Chicago versus New Haven versus um, Neapolitan versus, I mean, there's so many different flavors and kinds of pizza. Pizza quality is an absolute impossibility to measure, right? It's, 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 it's impossible. It's like, it's, it's poetry quality, right? You can't, there's no function that says quality of poetry, right? It's, it's not a, a big kind of lever that says, oh yes, this is a quality poem. And this is an unquality, a non-quality, low-quality poem. There's, there's so many different ways to evaluate a poem or a novel or a movie or a song or a pizza. 
but Papa John's national chain here in the U.S. and I think it's starting to put some uh, put some uh, branches beyond the U.S. borders. They sponsor. They put a lot of commercials on football. A lot of commercials. And in talking about how much they measure and care about the quality of their pizza, they show what has to be the most hilarious thing I've ever seen on a commercial. And that is a plastic wheel that is subdivided in pie slices, not surprisingly, into eight slices. And you watch the quote-unquote quality assurance expert person put the plastic see-through diagram of a pizza over an actual pizza to subdivide it so you can see them in different slices and they said we make sure that there's the same number of toppings on each slice of pizza that they're those toppings are well distributed that is their metric for pizza quality at no point do they talk about deliciousness they talk about variation in topping distribution Oh, for the love of all that is holy, are you freaking kidding me? Pizza is magical, and you've turned it into, quite literally, a pie chart. Are you kidding me? It is hilarious. It is absolutely hilarious. They have decided that what they want to talk about in terms of quality is distribution of toppings, not whether or not the cheese is any good, not whether the bread is too freaking doughy, not whether or not they've cooked it long enough or at a high enough temperature. It's about making sure that each slice has the same number of pepperoni slices, for example. Now, let's, let's decide that they have any value whatsoever. No one is talking about, do they have enough pepperoni slices or too many? They're talking about equal across the, the, the pizza, that each slice gets the same amount. I, 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 I have no words, if you can believe it. I have no words. That has to be the dumbest thing to measure I have ever seen outside of talent acquisition. I mean, my goodness, we are just atrocious at measuring things. And I love you all, but wow, we are bad at these things. And I'm putting myself in the same boat. I've put my place in, you know, and put in a position where we are measuring things that don't matter because that's what this is about, right? Papa John's is planting its flag to say, this is what matters, pizza topping distribution, and we are amazing at it. I guess. This is along the same lines as Domino's a couple years ago being famous as a pizza company not for delicious pizza, because it wasn't, but for making sure your pizza got there in 30 minutes. That was the criteria upon which they measured value. I am talking about pizza a lot, and it kills me inside, but there it is, right? You're not measuring what matters. In fact, Domino's had to do an entire campaign five, four or five years ago, uh, I guess it's four years ago now, where they effectively said, yeah, you know, we know our pizza isn't that good, and we know we've been overly focused on making sure pizza was on time, that that's what we measured. And we and they've gone to great lengths for two or three years to actually show you this is what we care about. Look at all the different kinds of pizza. This is how much how much we are committed to some sort of deliciousness of pizza. And I haven't had it in a couple of years, so I couldn't tell you if they've done a great job or not. But at least they figured it out. At least they realized Measuring pizza value on how fast it got to you is not measuring pizza quality. It's not measuring what matters. I mean, to a, cl a customer, in 30 minutes is good, it's nice, but if you said, hey, person who wants a pizza, you can have a deeply mediocre pizza and I can guarantee it will be there in 30 minutes or less, or an am potentially amazing pizza, and maybe it'll take 40 or 45. Who picks 30? I mean, I get it. I got a kid. I understand that sometimes you got to live and die by a schedule. I understand that sometimes just get me the food quickly, but that's a rare 
case. I can wait 15 minutes for good pizza, for truly good pizza. Can't you? Can't you wait a couple of minutes? And if that's the true metric of customer satisfaction is if you actually like the thing you are putting in your face and not how fast it got to you, or if it got to you, more importantly, in the time schedule that was dictated to you, right? Setting expectations and meeting just those expectations. Not deliciousness, but in terms of when it gets delivered. That's, that's, that's sad. It's so sad. And I, I'm, apparently I'm doing a Christopher Walken impression. Um, it's just so sad. But that's what we do in a talent acquisition and recruitment and employer brand. We're measuring things that don't matter, right? Oh, oh don't believe me. Oh, okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. How many of you here are doing recruitment marketing and are doing social media? That should be all of you. Or at least all of you doing recruitment marketing. You got to do something social, right? How many of you measure and report on numbers of likes and followers? That'd be pretty much all of you, wouldn't it? Pretty sure it is. I can't see any of you, but I'm going to guess. I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident in that one. That's what you're doing. And I'm going to tell you right now that studies show that there is exactly zero correlation between follower size, numbers of likes, and actual conversions. Meaning, from a consumer side, the number of people who will like you and say they like you and follow you has no connection whatsoever to the fact that they're buying from you. There are studies. If you want, you can hear I'm going to pull it up. Um, go look at uh, Bob Hoffman, Type A Newsletter. He's doing some great work in terms of talking about how ads are kind of goofy. Uh, great uh, article on this one. Yeah, so talking about brand love. Sh total shout out, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, in fact, I'm writing that down. Show notes. Anyway, there's no correlation. You can have a bajillion people follow you, but that doesn't mean a bajillion people buy. The fact that you have a lot more people following me doesn't even correlate to a lot more people buying. It's not even like in Google Analytics where you talk about it's not the exact number, it's the trend. There's no correlation whatsoever. People could be following you for the coupon because they're going to buy from you already, so we might as well wait till I can eke more money out of you, which is crazy. That means not only did you spend money to get them as a follower, they're going to be a lower margin customer in the long run. Tie that back to talent acquisition. In a world in which... Let's be fair, how long do you really expect people to follow you on Facebook and Twitter and all those other places? LinkedIn's a different story, but if you're looking for a job and you follow someone on Facebook, how long are they looking for a job? A couple weeks, a couple months, and then they're gone. Why would they follow your jobs page on Facebook? It doesn't work. And yet somehow, we seem to all be reporting on those numbers as if they matter. Now what matters on social? Engagement? Maybe. Maybe, are you pushing jobs or are you pushing stories? Are people talking about stories? Are people sharing those stories? More importantly, are people sharing those stories and coming back with new stories? Are you truly engaging or are you using whatever mealy metric Facebook and Twitter give you for engagement to say, yes, I guess they're engaging? That is the thing. Trust me, the way Facebook measures engagement, and I'm using air quotes and bunny ears here in, in the air, literally, has no correlation to the concept of being engaged with something. Accidentally clicking on things is not the same as actually caring about things, right? So that's meant when you measure something that doesn't matter. Okay, how about this one? How many of you measure traffic to your website? Many of you, many of you. And I'm gonna say, just because you don't care about the numbers, does your boss care about the number? Do you report it out every month or every quarter? Do you find a way to slide it in a report when those numbers go up to make sure that there's some positive news and something that might not be all that positive, some way of patting yourself on the back when the other things aren't working out so well. 
you're measuring what doesn't matter because who cares about how many visits you get to your website? What does that matter? Does it matter that they're looking for information? Does it matter that they're applying? Does it matter that they're abandoning their application process halfway through? Are those things more important? Maybe, maybe not. But traffic, raw traffic, who cares? You know how you increase traffic? Put an ad out there that says free beer and pizza. Everybody clicks that ad. <laughs> of course, they're mad when they show up and there's no free beer and pizza at the bottom of it. I'm clearly very hungry. I keep bringing up pizza. I apologize if you are too. Um, or if you don't like pizza, in which case, I don't know what to do with you. That's, that's I don't know. I don't understand that. Um, web traffic is easy to buy. It is easy to create. It means exactly nothing. There are plenty of sites. In fact, you know, talk to your consumer side. They see huge spikes in traffic. Do they see similar spikes in usage, in conversion, in purchases, or whatever your websites do? Not necessarily. What do they measure? They measure total numbers of sales, total numbers of qualified lead created, leads created. That's what matters to them, not volume of traffic. Now, they might say the volume of tra web traffic indicates, and without a... a, a, a a similar increase in leads indicates that something might be wrong and they have to go investigate it, but by itself, the number is effectively meaningless. At best, it is an indication that there might be something worth investigating that is actually important and actually has is cause for concern, but website traffic is meaningless. Meaningless, and yet we report on it. How about this one? Time to fill. Time to fill is such a complicated one, and yet we report on it to our bosses all the time. Why? Because we've all decided that time to fill is some sort of proxy for effectiveness of application process and effectiveness of recruiting and effectiveness of internal processes. And it's not. Why? Here's how you'd lower your time to fill rate immediately. Save good candidates, right? So I'll take all your second and third place finishers the people who didn't quite, people who got edged out of the best candidate, who people who are still good candidates, in fact, possibly even very good candidates, take all those people and instead of sending the standard, hey, you did not get the job, we are so sorry that you, you know, the whatever standard BS formal or, you know, uh, templated mail that says, sorry, you didn't get the job, um, instead of sending them that, because let's be fair, no matter how you write that, they feel hurt by it, disappointed by it. They now have negative emotional connection with your employer brand. By the way, that should be a huge red flag for you. Instead of sending them that, say, look, I just want to say you are our second place finisher. You weren't bad, but you just got beat out. Somebody just had something more and it connected well. That's not on you. That's just the luck of the game. And you get that email and you go, yeah, I get that. It wasn't exactly the right fit. Totally get that. I don't hate you. I'm not mad at me. I get that. Now that you've created someone who is positively associated with the brand, meaning they were willing to come in an interview with you. In fact, they were really hoping they got the job. And now the fact that they didn't get the job, if you can find a way to keep that positive interest going, meaning don't give them the you know, sorry, not sorry, you suck email that you would give every candidate in their disposition process. Instead, you say, look, you are a second or third place finisher. You are really kind of fantastic and we like you. And we'd love to work with you together again. We're not just going to tell you that we're going to put your resume on file and we'll let you know if we see something because we all know that's bullshit. And I'm singing that on purpose. It's not the rum talking. Let's be fair. 
if you instead say, look, we are going to work to keep an eye on you and send you some information and we love for you to apply again. And if we see something, we will reach out to you. We are indicating or designating you as a quality candidate and we'd like to find a place for you. Man, now, how does that matter to time to fill? Well, next time your hiring manager wanders down with a approved rec to go ahead and push out to your ATS, say, you know what, before we push that to our ATS, I have someone you should talk to. And instead of waiting three, four, five, six weeks for that ATS to generate the two, three, four hundred uh, resumes, again, there's another metric that means nothing, um, before you even consider candidates and bring them in for phoners, instead you say, I have someone, or I have two someones who would be pretty darn good. And I know they're good because I've talked to them already. And they're, I really like them. And they just didn't quite fit the first time. And I think there's good value here. You bring them in and that manager hires one, your time to fill is measured in minutes not weeks. Do that once or twice a week, your time to fill drops like a rock. Now, measuring your time to fill, if you don't change processes and strategies, means nothing. But you can game that by changing your process and strategy. Simple as that. Here's another great metric we all talk about that means exactly nothing. Conversion rate. Conversion rate. What is exactly conversion rate? Now, again, conversion rate comes from the consumer side of marketing. It says, I'm trying to sell tacos. I'm trying to reach as many people with a dollar so that when they see a taco, they go, mmm, tacos, and they buy the taco. And every time I get someone to be interested in a taco and they don't actually give me their dollar, I failed. Now, does that make any sense in talent acquisition recruiting? No. You want people to go, oh, you have a job. Oh, that that's the job? No, thanks. I'm good. You want them to walk away. Why? Because if they weren't going to walk away now, they were going to walk away at the offer stage. No amount of money you were going to throw at them was going to make you make them kind of change their mind, right? You're not throwing money at people, right? You're in the middle of the pack in terms of salary, hopefully. Um, you have nothing special to offer them in terms of salary. You weren't going to woo them away from that. So good. I'm glad they said, you know, this isn't what I want early on in the process. The fact that he didn't convert them isn't a failure. It's a win. I want to push 99 people away to get the one person who would stop at nothing to get this job, who would be amazing at this job, who understands what the brand's about, who understands what the company is about, who understands who brings a lot to the table, who is the kind of person we're looking for. I only want one. I want a conversion rate so small it is hard to see without an electron microscope so long as I'm bringing one or two great candidates to my hiring managers. Conversion rate is not for talent acquisition. It's for consumer marketing. We need to ignore it immediately. Otherwise, you know how you increase your conversion rate? You make job descriptions that are meaningless. You give them nothing to respond negatively to, and more people will say, yeah, I guess I'll hit the apply button. Sure. Now, Good candidates go, there's nothing here to say yes to. And congratulations, in an effort to increase your conversion rate, you've lowered your quality of hire. Wah, wah. Good job, guys, kids, women, men, who cares? You've done a whole, you've, you've, you've sacrificed something good to get something mediocre. Bad choice. Bad choice. Last one. My favorite, bounce rate. <laughs> Bounce rate is such, is a metric that only means something in like a special case, right? In, in very, very particular circumstances. I'm thinking of, there's a 
Bugs Bunny Daffy, no, it's actually a Porky Pig Daffy Duck cartoon from my childhood, which, let's be fair, was a rerun of a rerun by the time I saw it in the 70s, um, in which insurance, the, the, the insurance claim wouldn't pay out unless it was snowing on the 4th of July and you got ran over by a pack of zebras, right? That's the kind of circumstances in which bounce rate makes sense. If you've got a consumer site and you don't have any best-in-class software, meaning you're not sending them to some other piece of software to convert, maybe bounce rate means something. Maybe in a world where you want every single person who shows up to your website to buy something, maybe it means something. But again, you want to push people away. You don't want just everybody to apply. You do not need metric tons of resumes. In fact, every resume you get in your ATS that you don't choose to hire is, let's call it what it is, wasted energy, wasted money, wasted effort, wasted time, wasted resources. That's what every resume you pass on is, right? If you don't hire, what, what value of them were they to you? If they weren't a second, class, second place candidate worth talking to again, who cares? Why did you want that resume? It is garbage in your ATS, in your database, in your literally circular file. If you printed it, you wasted paper and ink. You killed a tree for nothing, right? So bounce rate, here, let's talk about bounce rate. Bounce rate, if you drive people in, let's say you put an ad out there for a job. Not that you would, not because you're better than that. You're better than that. But let's say you did, and you drove the people to your career site where your job description was, and you're better than that. But let's pretend. And let's say they landed on that job description. They went, oh, this sounds like an amazing opportunity. Congratulations, you've just hit a home run. Not to drive a sports metaphor in here, but well, there you go. Something good has happened. You have done an amazing job. You have gotten the right person to the right opportunity. Now what do they do? They click the apply button and where do they go? Your ATS, which is not your career site. Meaning, from Google Analytics and all your analytics packages perspective, that is a bounce. Meaning they showed up from the outside world, landed on one page, and left. The fact that they clicked on a button you wanted them to click on, unless you've coded it just right, it looks like a bounce. So if your bounce rate is up, are you doing a good job or a bad job? I don't know. Guess what? That's a crap metric. <laughs> if it doesn't tell you what's going on and doesn't indicate what you should do to change it, it is a worthless metric. Worthless. Worthless. Okay, that may, might be the rum talking, and this is the moment I pause to let a commercial come in. Hey, uh, just interrupting myself for just a second, just to remind you that because this podcast has made me extraordinarily wealthy, there's really nothing you can do. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to make any commercials or anything. You do not have to donate anything at all to keep this podcast going. Again, wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. Thank you all. I appreciate it. All you can do to help me make this podcast even better somehow is to review us on iTunes and Google Play and other places that you review and share podcast information. That's all you got to do. Leave some stars, leave a review, whatever you got to do. We really appreciate it. It's what keeps us going. Thanks to the people who've done it already, but keep them coming. We really do, like I said, we really do appreciate that. That's all I had to say. Again, I want to stop interrupting myself to bring you the amazing voices of me. Bye. All right, and I'm taking another sip. It's really good. It's delightful. Anyway, so what does matter? Well, that's when things get complicated. 
And I'm not saying that because it helps me kind of justify my salary. <laughs> it's not because of uh, jobs, uh, job security. I used to make a joke and back when I worked in IT many, many, many years ago. I said every time your computer fails, that's called job security for your IT support team. Because it's like, well, if it worked, what would you need us for? If it would eat, if it was easy, I wouldn't have to need this podcast. I wouldn't have to talk to anybody. You'd all understand it. It would all make perfect sense, and I would understand all of it. And I'll be the first to admit, I don't understand all of it. For those of you who are new to this podcast, I literally use this podcast to try and work through a problem in my head in front of you, and hopefully, you get value out of that. I really do. I more importantly is I learn something, but it's nice when you learn something. I love that. It's a great byproduct. So what should you measure? Well, here's my first pass at what matters. You do have to measure your employer brand. You need to measure the strength of it more importantly than its sentiment. Meaning, uh, and, by, and strength and reach. I think reach is also interesting and worth considering. So what do I mean by strength, reach, and, po- and sentiment of an employer brand? Okay, uh, let's go back to my favorite, uh, an airline that spent uh, a bajillion dollars telling you exactly how much they cared about their customers. And then one day, someone who didn't even work for them grabbed a passenger and banged their head on the way out the door and everybody filmed it. And suddenly, no, you're not all about customers, are you? Airline, I don't think I need to tell you about, right? So in that case, the employer brand if the case is, you know, what you know, what is their employer brand? What, you know, let's just talk about brand because it's easier in this case. Everybody gets what I'm talking about here. In their case, the brand, which is a pattern and repeats, and because the company says the same things over and over again and, and talks about the same concerns over and over again, they care about customers, they care about customers, they care about customers, you are hopefully thinking that this brand cares about customers in the same way that long, long time ago, Volvo used to talk about how much their cars were safe. And they talk about it enough, suddenly you start to think maybe they really care about how safe their cars are. And their cars were safe, right? So were other cars. They weren't necessarily safer than other cars, but you got the sense that because that's what they talked about, that's what they cared about. Therefore, that's what was different about them. That's how branding works. So the stronger your brand is, the more people believe what they hear, the more they say, yes, this is a company that cares about customers. Yes, Volvo is a company that cares about safety. Do they care about other stuff? Maybe, but we know they care about this. That's what they paid for. That's what those brands are paying to do. They're making you feel that thing. Now, in terms of reach, how many people feel that? Now, employer brand, that's complicated because again, you don't need to sell tacos to anybody with a buck. You need to get the right people to go. That is a company I want to work for. My neighbors are making a noise. Sorry, I got distracted. So for example, Google has a problem. And I know they have this problem because they do actually complain about it in certain circles. And that is they get too many resumes. Now, that's a problem we'd all like to have. (laughs) There are much worse problems to have. Their problem is their reach is too wide, but their brand strength isn't strong. Meaning, all those people applying for jobs, what are they applying for? What percentage of them are applying for that job because everybody wants to work there? What percentage of that brand and that the reason you apply is because you think that's the best place to work because all the studies and all the surveys and every article we talk about, about place everybody wants to work for, says that's the place they want to work for. Therefore, I want to work there. That is a wide-reaching brand, but it's not a strong one because there's no sense of why, right? They, they want the free M&Ms and uh, jelly beans and the coffee with 17 different kinds of milk and the lunches and the, you know, they want the perks. 
What would they do with that job? I don't know. They don't know. Maybe they're a developer. Developing what? I don't know. But I want the perks. Well, that's a pretty weak brand. It's a widely reaching brand, but it's weak. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of overstating the case a smidge for Google's case, but you, I think you get it. Then the question becomes sentiment. Is it positive or negative? Now, that's when I go, it's good to know, but it's also not necessarily important. Again, I go to SpaceX. We talk about how they have a negative brand perception. Why? Because they like it that way. If it was easy, they don't want people who want an easy job. They want people who want a hard job. And no matter how good a hard job is, it's still a hard job. And sometimes bad things happen. Days get rough. You have an imperfect, non-positive sentiment about that company or about that brand. And you talk about it. Man, I love working at SpaceX, but wow, the hours are hard. And man, the, the challenges we're facing are huge. And it wears a person down. That is a not positive employer brand, but it is strong. And if it's reaching the right people, it's got good reach. So you should measure your employer brand. A good way to do that or to start are places like Glassdoor, Indeed, Kanunu, right? Places where people actually say things about your brand. You got to kind of spin it a little bit. You got to kind of look at it and, and, and break it down. If you look at your average rating on Glassdoor and don't look at it by location and by um, job types or whatever, you're getting a pretty... It's tough. The aggregate number isn't as important as the focus. So let's say you work at a big company and you have an amazing sales team and a place where the customer service team feels very forgotten about, right? I mean, very few companies that have customer support really treat customer support like the most important thing. Zappo seems to treat their customer support team like they're the stars of the show. You almost forget that they hire a lot of engineers, right? Because it's all about the customer service aspect of things. Most companies are not like that. Customer service is the thing they have to do in order to keep your money. It's a, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cost center, never a profit center, right? But they focus on the profit centers. They focus on how good sales are. I've seen plenty of companies that will give award after award to sales teams for like 17 different flavors, but everybody who actually does the work that supports what the sales team does, they may get one award, if any, right? The art team gets best account, and that encompasses 17 people on that account, but sales teams will get 17 different awards for different slices and dices, best region, best single account, salesperson of the year, all that stuff, right? It's hard to say the aggregate number of on, on, on Glassdoor for that company is 3.5. That's average. That's median for, for, median for Glassdoor. If it's 3.5, what is the sales team and what is the consumer or customer support? And if you broke it down, you'll see that the sales team might have a 3.7, 3.8, and the customer service might have a 3.2, maybe something starting with a 2. And depending on what kind of job you're applying for, that matters. <laughs> so being able to break it down using that is good. What else should you measure? Well, I think you should measure your source of hire. I think it's important to know where people are coming from. Because as we're moving into a much more relational, relationship-driven space and not a transactional one, you want to know where people are coming from because that gives you a sense of what are they learning about you before they walk in the door. You want to be able to control some of that message. That's much more important than, I don't know, time to hire. That's much more important. Oh, another metric that's tough to kind of deal with, but we report on it all day long, cost per hire. 
Everybody wants to know the return on investment for that channel or that channel or that channel in a world in which people make 17 stops. And I keep using the word number 17, I'm realizing. Let's say they make 12 different stops and the numbers are all over the map here before they actually apply for you. It's hard to say Glassdoor is good or bad because people aren't using Glassdoor as a job board, a place where they come and say they apply, but they definitely stop there to learn about you. Google the same way. They, they Google your company to see what this company is all about. What are people talking about? They're using places like Blind and Secret and all these other places, PESA, and all these places that open comparable and comparably or whatever it is, all these places that are presenting information about you that don't have any jobs, they look like they are places where nothing, no use and no value is being done there. And you and somebody might be inclined to say, well, don't spend money on those sites. You know, places that do content. Um, you know, the Muse is an obvious case. Built in Chicago, you know, there's five or six of those built-ins. Um, there are a lot of places. Fairy God Boss. There are places that do a lot of good content work, but if the connection to jobs may not be obvious, and thus they might not look like good candidates for ROI, and thus they might you might say that's a bad that's a bad space to to, pl to place money because my costs per hire for those are not good. But they're not being used for hires. They're being used for validation and information and to expand the, the top of the funnel and to filter good people out who would be bad fits down the road. It's hard to measure that stuff, but you should be talking about what are the sources? Where are those sources coming from? How are they learning about things? Don't rely on what your ATS says the source of hire was, though that's certainly useful and a good place to start. Ask more questions. Do you ask candidates you're about to hire, hey, Here's a random interview question. Where are all the places you went and did research on us? That's a great question. You know, most people, you know, when you're interviewing, you, you want an informed candidate or a candidate who cares enough to actually do the research. Well, ask them where they did the research and then take notes. Calculate, see where they're finding that information. Which of those sites are they going to to learn more about your brand? That's useful information. That's a metric that you should be focusing on. Because then you can shape the message. You can find out, turns out 25% of your applicants are coming or are leveraging um, website X to learn about your brand. And you're like, I never heard of website X. Congratulations, you have a new project. And you can actually move the needle because 25% of your candidates are going to this place to learn about your brand and you didn't do anything with them and now you should. That's what matters. That's the stuff that matters. Measuring the stuff that doesn't matter is a waste of your time. So please stop doing it. All right, so uh, by the way, thanks so much for listening. If you can give me a rating, I'd really appreciate it. For those of you on the new iOS, it's simplicity itself to just throw a couple stars at me. Uh, I do appreciate the people who've given me new ratings. I really do. I really do appreciate it. Um, yeah, more webinars coming. I've got something with career art coming up and on October 18th. I'll put that in the show notes too. Man, the show notes are busy today. Uh, and uh, the next webinar with Philip Black of Omobono, a uh, an agency that focuses a lot on recruitment marketing employer brand. I think that's going to be a great conversation. That's the next one. And there's a couple more coming. There are a couple more coming. I don't know if they're announced. Otherwise, uh, have a great week, and I will talk to you next week. Uh, if you want to talk to me, I'm on Twitter, The War for Talent. You know the whole drill. I love talking to you. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for sharing. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you 
and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.